You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Wild Never Make It podcast presents the Spotlight Series, an in-depth look at those making a difference in the arts and beyond. As actors, we study the human condition. We are curious people about humans. To go into these environments and for me to use music to make connections with strangers, that interests most artists. Throughout history, artists have known that music provides benefits for both the creator and the listener. It can affect individuals in positive ways by inducing both psychological and physiological healing. This is especially true in the senior community. In 2001, the National Endowment for the Arts joined with George Washington University to conduct a national study on the correlation between creativity and aging. They found that senior citizens involved in weekly participatory art programs reported better health, i.e. fewer doctor's visits and less medicine usage. They also reported more positive mental health and more involvement in other activities. The results from this study pointed to the powerful positive intervention effect of these arts programs. Another study in 2013 showed that dementia and Alzheimer's patients can recall memories and emotions and have enhanced mental performance after singing classic hits and show tunes from movies and musicals. Linda McGuire, the lead author on that study, says that musical aptitude and music appreciation are two of the last remaining abilities in patients with Alzheimer's. Research suggests that listening to or singing songs can provide emotional and behavioral benefits for people with Alzheimer's and other types of dementia. Musical memories are often preserved because key areas of the brain linked to music memory are relatively undamaged by the disease. Music can also benefit caregivers by providing a way to connect with loved ones who have Alzheimer's disease, especially those who have difficulty communicating. And it is that sense of connection, of community, that we're going to be talking about today. Sing for Your Seniors is a nonprofit built around the mission of enriching lives through the universal language of music. They bring professional artists to the communities of seniors in need to entertain them, to foster intergenerational connection, and most especially, to create shared joy. Jackie Vanderbeck is the founder and producing artistic director of Sing for Your Seniors. From her great-grandmother, whom she lovingly called Grandma Didi, she realized the enormous therapeutic value of music for seniors, especially those who are showing signs of withdrawal. And so she started Sing for Your Seniors in 2005 as a one-person a cappella hour at the Village Adult Day Center in New York's West Village. 
but it has now grown into a much bigger organization. And today, Jackie joins me in this Spotlight episode to talk about that journey. Last summer, she invited me to participate in one of their sessions at the Actors Fund Home in New Jersey. So we also talk about that experience and how Sing for Your Seniors brings hope and joy to a very vulnerable group that is often forgotten by our society. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me and for participating in Sing for Your Seniors. Since I started the Spotlight series, this is the first time I've actually been involved. I've, I've done certain things with the organization, but this was the first time I've actually been a member and a part of the performance. So it was quite the experience. I'm really curious, what gave you the idea to start something specifically for seniors? Well, um, I was always very close with my grandparents and actually my great-grandparents. I was lucky enough to have my great-grandparents for a really long time. Um, And one set of grandparents lived next door to me, you know. um, So I was very accustomed to having elders in my life on a regular basis. My great-grandma, Dee Dee, was so very special to me. She and I were very close. And um, I used to sing to her at her assisted living center. And when I was away at college, actually, and I'd come home on breaks and friends would come and visit, um, everybody knew, like, if you came with me to visit Grandma Didi, you had to sing. Like, that was just (laughs) kind of the rule. (laughs) And um, it was always just um, for fun, you know, and she loved it so much. And it was more than just kind of, oh, sing for grandma and she'll clap at you. Like you could tell that she was having an experience with it. And furthermore, at the assisted living center, I noticed that if I was singing in grandma's room, then sometimes people would come out of their rooms and kind of linger in the doorway. And then grandma would invite them in and they would talk. And so it was, it definitely, the music promoted socialization in her home that she was staying in. When I think back of like, oh, where are the seeds? And that was definitely a big one. The other side of it was after conservatory. So I went to the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music, which is a very intense musical theater program. Definitely. And a lot of big names have come from there. So it's, uh, it's well known for its reputation of musical theater. Yeah, I'm I'm such a proud CCMer, and you know you come out of 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 conservatory like that, and and you're just kind of introduced to the city, and you know you get an agent, and you start auditioning, and you're just kind of pounding the pavement, and you're sort of in this frame of mind of go go go, and and from spending so much time auditioning and being in such a fast paced environment, I started to feel disconnected from the work and why I was doing it. You know, when you're in conservatory and you're working on um, acting and you're, you know, you're practicing your craft and you're in the stories and you're, you feel very purposeful. But then when you get into this mode of just constantly auditioning, I think that that can drain a really important part of of the passion of why we do it. You know, you're only, you're only singing because you need to get something from someone. You need this job. You're only telling this story. And sometimes it's just the 16 bars of the story, (laughs) you know? And, um, and so I, I was feeling really disconnected and, and that really scared me because this was an art form that I had been passionate about since I was very young and I've been working so hard to get to this point, and I'm like, why am I, why now am I just totally feeling nothing? <laughs> I feel nothing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and on top of that, I'm in this new city, which is so exciting, and, and it's an amazing place to be. But, um, you know, my, my background of growing up and being around the elders of, of my family, I was really missing that component, missing what it's like to be, you know, in community with people who have lived a long life and who have a perspective, who can look at you and and say, 
don't sweat that. It's not a big deal, you know? And like, and, and you just being like, you're right. And I don't know, there was just, uh, I was missing that piece. Well, I think that's something we all need in our life. We need the, the, the people who have come before us to remind us that, yes, you know, there's hard work involved. There's this, you know, and that support, but also like you said, we, we need that voice telling us it's going to be okay. You didn't book this job or you didn't, you know, do great in that performance or whatever it was. And they're like, you know what, you're just going to knock it out of the park next time. And that's what's going to happen. Yeah, especially as a young person, you know, when everything feels, especially when you first move to the city and you're like, everything feels like it matters. It means something big. Right. You Everything's know? at a 10. Yeah. And, and um, you know, there's nothing like your grandma to just shake it off and look at you like, what? Here, have a, you know, have some pie. Let's sit down for a minute. Oh, you know, like just <laughs> you know, and and just feel like you're right, you know, or whatever it is, you know. It just um, I I would call Grandma Didi all the time on on my way from the train home and tell her about what was going on, or tell her like I'm feeling this way or that way, and um, you know. So I was starved for that. I was starved for that kind of connection. And I think it was the, um, the, com- the compound of those two things of mm-hmm. feeling disconnected from the work and then also feeling like I really needed that um, diversity in my day-to-day that I wasn't getting. And there's also that component of, like you were saying, a purpose, a meaning, like a reason behind why we perform, a reason for this art form that we've chosen as a profession than just booking a job, getting the paycheck onto the next one. It, it, there has to be more to it than that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. In an effort to sort to remedy those two issues that I was experiencing at the time, I decided to um, look for an opportunity to do some volunteer work and hopefully find a senior center or something or a program that serves seniors. And so that I could, you know, be in that community. And, uh, I really couldn't find any, I I believe there was one, but they required like a three month time commitment, which as an actor, you never know if you book something and you're gone. And I would hate to put them in a position of have, you know, have to replace me or to disappoint them. Um, So I just decided to reach out to some senior centers. I just looked online and I reached out to a few and I heard back from this center in the West Village called the Village Adult Day Center. And um, they wrote me back and they're like, come on down. (laughs) And, you know, I there's probably many things that I could have done, maybe like meal service or something. But I was like, well, you know, I'm I'm an artist, like I'm a performing artist. Can I? just come and sing for an hour for people, you know, is that something you'd be open to? And they're like, yeah, they were just sort of, they were just like, whatever you want to do, it's fine. Just come on down. You know? Um, Now the village adult day center is kind of like a daycare for seniors. They, they come in via um, bus and they are dropped off there in the early morning. And then around three o'clock, the buses come and take them back to, um, some of them are living in, you know, senior assisted centers. Some of them live independently, um, depending on their needs. But the space was kind of like a big cafeteria area. And then they had a couple of rooms and then they had like a nurse's station. And so I kind of came in around lunchtime and, um, they were kind of finishing up. And so I, I said, hi, everybody. I am. My name is Jackie. I'm, I'm going to sing some songs for you today. I hope you enjoy them. So, you know, I kind of picked four or five golden era songs and, and sang them. And they were very happy. It was acapella. They responded really well to it. And so I made a commitment to the center that I'd come there once a week to sing. And I did that for, for several weeks. And then I started running out of songs (laughs) because when you're singing acapella, it goes much faster. (laughs) Um, 
So I started inviting friends, you know, I was like, Hey, Melissa, what are you doing today? Hey, Courtney. Hey, Kira, what are you guys doing? Are you free around one to come with me? You know, slowly but surely different friends just kind of would come with me and we do that. And then at the time, my roommate was a pianist um, for the musical Chicago. And so when he didn't have a rehearsal, he came and played. And in that, I always describe Sing for Your Seniors as having built itself. I feel like it was just a bunch of us kind of showing up and creating the environment based on the room that we were in and based on the people that we were serving. I found that around four to five singers was enough for a really fun variety of music, but not too many people to confuse. Like it was enough people that it was fun to socialize. It kind of became a social thing. If there were too many people, then they'd forget who was there, you know? So about four or five was good. And, um, we would create a circle so that the artists were standing in the middle. Um, and then when, when you're not singing, you're sitting amongst the audience. And so um, you can chat about the songs or sing along and in inspire sing along moments. And we still do that in dementia unit facilities um, so that everyone can see the artist and the artist can see everyone. So we can see if anybody's feeling distressed or if anybody is raising their hand and wants you to come over to them. It's just easier um, for us to be observant in that way. Right. That was sort of the beginning. And that's where we started. And when did it start to look like this could be a company of, of singers? This could be an organization. When did that start to happen? Um, I would say... Maybe like a year in, I think I did it for almost a year before I started looking into ways to turn it into a nonprofit organization. And that came about um, primarily because of the artists. I had more and more people that wanted to participate. And I thought, well, we could go to more places if we had more people, you know, and I still right. say that today, the more artists we have, the more I feel comfortable enough for us to add one more center to our family. Um, and that's kind of what it started to feel like is that artists were reaching out to me. Hey, I heard you do this. Well, I'd love to join you sometime. Let me know if there's an empty spot. And so then I started making the steps towards turning it into a nonprofit so that inevitably we could do fundraisers and, and that the financial situation of each center was not going to be a component into whether or not we could bring these services somewhere. I ended up taking a class at um, Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts, and they assisted me in matching me with a, a, a law firm to walk through the steps of incorporating the, the organization and getting our nonprofit status. Yeah, I'm sure that that was like a big step. It was like, look, I, I was just like singing acapella a year ago, and now I'm with lawyers and filling out, you know, mounds of paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a little surreal. And I also, you know, I had to, I had that imposter syndrome moment. I, you know what, to be honest, I still do sometimes. I'm like, I'm just a musical theater major. <laughs> um, I'm trying to make this a thing. Um and it's funny, whenever I'm in those environments with lawyers or even doctors or, um, you know, even with the Alzheimer's Foundation, as artists, we're kind of the unicorn in the room. And while their stuff is very paper oriented and there's a way to do it and there's a step and there's a, all these forms and different things and it's just you go about it in this very methodical way. What we do is not that. And they just can't believe what we do, <laughs> you know? And they're right? just like, wow, you really? That's what you, wow. And um, it's kind of a neat thing. Like sometimes I forget, I don't have to be an expert in these particular things because this is what I do. This is what I bring, you know? And I can figure that stuff out if I sit long enough with it, you know? But it doesn't have to be, I don't have to be all things in order to make this 
happen. Yeah, you basically take the knowledge and skills that you do have, and then you started to surround yourself with people who could broaden that picture of what you wanted it to be, whether it's adding more singers, a pianist, now you're with the lawyer. So yeah, I think that that's something that, you know, you mentioned that imposter syndrome. I think that's something that a lot of us do. I know I've been in an audition room and I feel like that. I'm like, why am I here? I'm not going to get this part or this isn't right for me. Or maybe it's something that we're just trying to protect ourselves from, from failing. Mm. And so we, we, we don't tend to venture out. And I think for you, because you didn't start off with a big grand plan, it was just a, I'm just going to sing for some people. And so it was, it was a little step that then beget another step and another step until eventually you were ready for a big step. But I think so many times we just dive right in and take a huge step and we're like, ah, what am I doing? Um, I, I feel very comfortable in the artistic part of what we're doing and in the mission of what we're doing and being in those facilities and the centers. I feel very much at home. Um, it's when I'm behind my computer and go, okay, now this grant, you know, and I have to support it in these other ways and taking those steps that as a big picture is really overwhelming and you just have to take it in small steps. And when, when I've looked at other nonprofit models or when I've discussed our model with foundations, many of the other nonprofits they don't get working on their mission until they've created this immense structure and have hired seven people and, you know, all of those things first. Whereas we were action first, you know, we were people who just did the work. We just, we were grassroots. We just went in, did the work. And then now that the work is grown and, the word has spread and people are, you know, are really excited about it, you know, and we're, we're now kind of filling in the infrastructure in order to support the growth. Right. So instead of building the theater first, you had the show, you're performing it. It's like, okay, now let's get a stage and a theater around us. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a good analogy. (laughs) (laughs) So what has surprised you the most as it's grown? Oh gosh. You know, I wish I could say that it's, it surprised me that so many people want to do this, but it doesn't, (laughs) you know, it, that's not a surprise to me at all. Um, Oh, somebody asked me, well, how did you know how to, how to reach people in this way? And I said, well, as, as actors, we study the human condition. We are curious people about humans (laughs) you know and so to go into these environments and for me to use music um, to make connections with strangers that interests me (laughs) and it interests most artists you know and so when people join in it's never a surprise to me how much people love doing it and come back you know and particularly even the when we do broadway sessions we'll do broadway sessions and bring broadway casts in to perform and they've been doing eight shows a week for some of them months and years and they come in and they perform and sing to an audience that is looking right at them and they can use that music to connect and they haven't done that in a really long time even though they're being paid you know the big bucks and they're doing the Broadway and we all are like oh I wish I was doing the Broadway um they come here and they're just like no no no. this is why I started doing this and getting back to that for them Um, No matter what stage we are at at our careers, if we're pounding the pavement, we're auditioning, or we're going away and doing regional and coming back and going away and coming back and just having that moment to reconnect with your reason. Mm -hmm. Or if you're on Broadway for a really long time and you're doing the same thing over and over again to come back and be like, oh, yes. Because when you're on stage, the theater is black. You're not seeing you know, unless you're walking that autograph line, you don't know who's been moved by your work or who's been touched by your work. And so to be in those environments, you know, we do a meet and greet for 15 minutes after every session where the um, audience can talk to people about the music or tell them what they thought or, you know, have a connection about all kinds of things like, oh, I'm from Michigan too. I'm from Michigan, you know, things like that. And so 
I just think that's wonderful. <laughs> I assume it reaffirms to you that you made the right decision in pursuing this and starting this. You know that the the care facilities, the seniors themselves love it because they connect with this music and it, I think it reaches them in a way that just having a nurse or even just having their family come and sit with them for an hour or so, you know, it's a different type of relationship. Absolutely. And, you know, it's so important for for that audience to feel seen and to be included. And I think when we come into these environments, um, you know, kind of gangbusters and energy, and we come in there and we're singing songs that we can it's meaningful to them in a particular way and the story that we're telling and we can make that connection through the music. It immediately like puts them back into the fabric of the community. Even if it's just for that hour that they can feel like, Oh, here's somebody I'm meeting somebody new. They're connecting to me. And then we always say, come back and see our, our session next month. I want to see you here and giving them a kind of responsibility um, knowing that there's somebody there that wants to see them, you know, it's, that's not it's the same with when we come around and we talk with people and introduce ourselves and shake their hand or touch their shoulder. You know, it's somebody that's not their nurse or a staff person, you know, that's there and paid to have to take their blood pressure. Like, no, we're just there to, we're just there to be together. Sing for Your Seniors is a member organization of the Alzheimer's Foundation of America who says that when used appropriately, music can shift a patient's mood, manage stress-induced agitation, stimulate positive interactions, facilitate cognitive function, and coordinate motor movements. Neurologist Oliver Sacks agrees. He says that music evokes emotion, and emotion can bring with it memory. It brings back the feeling of life when nothing else can. And I got to experience that particular feeling firsthand when I joined four other volunteer performing artists at the Actors Fund Home in New Jersey. A lot of times when we're on stage, there is that distance between us and the audience, you know, that the lights are down, we can't really see them, but they can see us. And so then we perform and we bow at the end and then we're done. But this is really a chance with lights are up, everyone can see everyone, and we're really singing to them. And that gets me to the experience that I had. And I'm so grateful that you invited me to join in on one of these sessions. And it was really quite wonderful. But also, I will admit that the very first time I got up, I was like nervous. Am I going to forget the words? Am I, am I going to sound right? Am I, you know, worrying about all those like actory things that we do. But then once I got up and they were all just like sitting there, you know, some in wheelchairs, some in chairs, some were, some were able to clap, some were a, a bit more still. But I could tell that they were just like ready to hear what, whatever was going to come in. And there was no, there was no expectation. There was no... I think we as actors will judge ourselves or think that the audience is judging, you know, so we kind of have that extra, that extra kind of anxiety about it. But with them, it really was just like, I'm glad you're here. Let's have fun. And yeah, you start to get a little more comfortable. And there were people there that were clapping. They were smiling. Some of them were mouthing the words if they knew it, but they, they were really respectful and listening and really wanting to hear not just the sound, not just the music, but just the, the words and just the poetry of that era of music. And so it was really something special to interact with them in that way. And you're at the actor's home, which is yes, so special. I, I love going to the actor's home. We've been there, I think for eight years, I think now. Hmm. And, um, I always say, you know, we're coming to bring the, the music back to the people who gave it to us. Right. So for a lot of them, you know, there are original cast members in that audience. <laughs> you know, there's original cast members of Oklahoma sitting there, yeah. and, um, which, is, which is such a thrill. Um, and then I, I know you mentioned the dementia unit there is extremely impactful because for a lot of them who don't know their names anymore, will know the lyrics to Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And there are moments where sometimes the music can be overwhelming for them. That's why we only do 30 minutes 
um, in the dementia unit so as not to overstimulate. And we also do uh, the audience in a circle um, there. But we've had some amazing breakthroughs um, in the dementia unit at the actor's home that are just so, so powerful. Um, and upstairs in the nursing floor, and I know what you mean though, because I mean, <laughs> after some of the sessions, some, some of the audience will, can be critiquing. If you ever go to the Sage Center, you can bet your bottom dollar that someone's going to have something to say about, <laughs> about a piece that you did or something. All of the centers that we serve are so different, and it's, it's really fun to kind of know which ones, which music to sing where. Like at Sage, you know, I always tell people, you can bring... Um, bring those obscure trunk songs that, you know, William Finn wrote or somebody um, and try to stump them because they love it. They love being able to try to guess what that song, who wrote that. Right. Yeah. I, I was told that. And the thing is, one of the songs that I did would probably fit in with Sage because it was from the movie musical, The Little Prince, uh-huh. written by Lerner and Lowe, very famous, but no one really knows, or at least most people don't know, The Little Prince musical that they wrote. Oh, and, yeah. so, and so it's the song that I sang was very 40s kind of jazz feel to it, but it's not, it's one of those obscure trunk songs, as you mm-hmm. say. And so after we all sang, a lot of it was just kind of shaking hands and thanking them for coming and just being, but then occasionally they would want to talk about, I saw that show originally on Broadway back in 1960, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and I remember when she sang that or he sang that. And so they're telling these stories about shows that they've seen or or actors that they knew. And so for them, it really was bringing back this golden era, not only of music, but of just of their lives, of things that really meant something to them. Absolutely. And how beautiful for them to get to pass that along to somebody that's mm-hmm. come in from, you know, well, we're all in the city and they get to share their story or their perspective. There was one woman in particular and she's in her 90s and she was like a big puppeteer in her day. Uh, mm. She had created puppets and so like that was her thing it's like to to not only like be a puppeteer ventriloquist but to actually make them create the characters themselves as far as i know she was still she still had them there uh with her at, at the home so that's how she connected with the arts and she was just the sweetest woman and she wanted to just hold my hand you know when we were talking she would just hold my hand and she must have hugged me three or four times she just kept wanting to hug more and more. And she was just so sweet and appreciative of us being there. And so, you know, it's not this grand production, but to them, it it meant so much. And they were so just grateful Mm -hmm. for us being there, which in turn, certainly made me and I, and I think I can speak for the other singers that were there. It just made us so much more appreciative of what we're able to do and Mm -hmm. what we're able to give them. Absolutely. I think that it's, it's so important to be reminded that this art form, you know, is valuable, not just on the stage. The way that we use musical theater storytelling, it reaches people who have cognitive disabilities and uh, dementia or Alzheimer's. My sister uh, was blind and developmentally delayed. And she loved musical theater. And I know a lot of that had to do with the idea that she could follow a storyline far better based on the music than she could by the language. Hmm. Um, you know, you know, these two people are in love when the music swells and you know that this guy is evil because of the music that happens when he enters, you know, and she just not only responded, but it was like her connection to, our world in a society kind of way, like understanding relationships. And when you have dementia and language is no longer something that is the first thing that you can use to connect to somebody else, music, regardless of if you're singing the lyrics or they're understanding the lyrics, but when you can go on that journey, that swell, you know, music starts out of the story, starts out in this place, and then there gets that high point, And then there's this resolve near the end. And it's like, we've been in a, co- a communal experience together. We both went on that journey together. Mm. And in those environments, including even the hospice hospital we serve, at, um, we serve 
Calvary Cancer Hospital, being able to go on those kinds of journeys with people, come out of yourself, come out of maybe the journey that you're on right now, or for people with dementia who are very introverted and have kind of shut down from the world and that they can be drawn out on this journey with the music, even for those three minutes and you've caught them, you know, kind of use that term of like drawing somebody out and they're out and I got to keep them out with me, you know? And so that might mean that I will sit with them because I see now that they're out. So I'm like, okay, we're going to sit here. I'm going to hold your eyes. I'm going to hold your attention. And then when we get to this next song, you're coming with me on this journey, (laughs) you know, and we're going to do that together. It's extremely powerful. And I just, I love that Sing for Your Seniors is a place where artists can come and reconnect to that component Mm-hmm. of this art form and how it can be used in our culture, not just as being big, famous Broadway stars, which there's nothing wrong with that. I still am a performer as well. Like I still love to use my art form in that way, but there are other ways and there are other people who will, can be impacted by it. Sometimes we just got to change the format. Mm-hmm. And that's what Sing for Your Seniors does is that we, we break it down. There's no big production. There's no, you know, fancy fanfare. I don't, you know, that fourth wall is down, you know, and we are just having a community um, and we're just, we're in it together. That's why I call them sessions and not performances because I want it to feel like we're all there hanging out together and we're telling stories and we're going on these journeys together. And how would you say that affected your performance outside of Sing for Your Seniors, your own auditioning, your own connection with music? And how has that affected uh, the other singers in the group? Oh my gosh. Well, I, I always get incredible feedback from our artists, particularly our artists that are very regular with us. Um, for me, auditioning is so much easier after months or years of doing Sing for Your Seniors because you're just up and you're doing songs, but also you're being malleable to your environment. So, you know, somebody, you know, you're watching or you're singing a song to somebody and they're responding to you. And that's like colored how I present the song now because this person laughed at this line that I never, you know, or, or somebody, let's say somebody's kind of being grumpy and I'm going to take my song and I'm going to use every tactic I can to make this guy laugh, you know, like whatever it is. And that has absolutely informed the way that I continue to tell that story from then on out. (laughs) The one downside for me in auditions though, is that we have about five regular um, accompanists And I got very used to just putting my book down and walking up and starting my song because pretty much they all know my tempos. (laughs) So then I get into an audition and I just put my book down and head up to the, you know, little X or whatever. And the guy's like, um, (laughs) what, what, oh, sorry. I have to go back and give my tempo because I'm not used to that. But, um, and then when it comes to my work on stage, how I listen definitely changed how I, um, well, uh, I think it all comes from listening. You're just listening on a higher level because um, in those senior um, environments, I I kind of have a very wide spectrum open because I want to make sure, you know, that Mary over here who I know has a hearing aid, it's not, the mic's not too loud. If it's too loud, I'm going to turn it down. Or if Fred is having a rough day today, you know, I'm kind of very, Oh, more hyper aware of what's going on in the room. And I think that when you're flexing those muscles like that on a regular basis, that you, um, you're just, you're way more flexible in a rehearsal room because you're yeah. aware and you're taking in the environment. You're taking in what people are giving you. You're responding quicker. You're responding with more authenticity because you're used to being in these environments where you have to respond. There is no lights in your face. You're seeing everything that's going on, you know, and you don't want to ignore any of that. All of that is just goodness. Let's just, you know, like, yeah. So it's been a positive. And again, for the people who do Broadway sessions, you know, they'll come and they'll perform songs from the show and 
Um, I remember when we had, we actually just recently had folks from the prom come and um, the two girls performed the song and forgive me for not knowing, but where there's the kiss at the end. And they were talking about just like how much it meant for them to get to perform that material in front of the LGBT community who fought for their right to be able to tell stories like this and how meaningful that was. Beth Malone said the same thing when we brought fun home to Sage, that it just meant so much for them to be able to give back to that community and how that affected them moving forward. Yeah. We had uh, Caitlin Kinnanen on the, the podcast last season and she was a joy to talk to. And I can only imagine how mm-hmm. effervescent and energetic she was performing for them. Yeah, it was a, it was a really special session. I bet, I bet. <laughs> and so, whenever you're bringing in these these Broadway shows, when did that start, and how did you start incorporating them into the seniors? So um, that happened. I want to say 2012. Um, Daniel Torres, who I went to college with at CCM. So here's the CCM connection. It's nice to go to a school where so many people filter out into the Broadway community because I am calling them up. Hey, you know, like, (laughs) um, and they're so excited to do it. But um, I mean, it really comes from my CCM connection. Um, Daniel Torres is on a board member and he also is the representative of our Broadway sessions. And so at the time he was in Evita on Broadway and he really reached out and said, you know, he was perform he'd perform with us before, but had this idea like, well, what if like the cast came out and how cool would that be? And I'm like, that would be amazing to think you can make that happen. And so he really was uh, really spearheaded that and it has grown like crazy. Um, Daniel has brought, I mean, every show that he's been in, he's brought more than one, more than one time to perform at different centers and even on tour. So we did one out in Denver with the Les Mis tour. And, oh, that's and cool. you know, I mean, I was in Japan for two seasons do, touring with the Tokyo Philharmonic. So like, the, you know, I can run Sing for Your Seniors from wherever I am. If I'm, you know, in Denver at the Denver Center doing a show or in California doing a show or in Japan, I was able to do it. Um, my husband was just in graduate school in Louisiana. So we were down there for two years and I pop into New York on a regular basis for board meetings and to check up on the centers and to do some sessions. And, um, but yeah, I'm kind of all over the place. And so what is it like now being away from the city and kind of going back and forth to it now? I mean, I miss it being a regular thing, you know, every day I'm working on it, but I don't get to always be like on the ground. But what I do love is that, you know, we, Um, implemented um, session leaders and they're the ones who the day of are really um, setting the tone in the session and they're you know managing the session while it's happening and guiding the um, the rest of the artists through the template of what we do I love it because this organization is not about what I can do what Jackie Vanderbeck does it's it's an organization that is maintained and has grown by the hearts of our artists. And so, you know, I love that our session leaders can take ownership in these sessions and lead them as their own and get to know the communities and so that they can then share that community with the artists of that day. Mm -hmm. Um, Because every time it's different group. And, And usually there might be like, well, we try to kind of only have one new person Um, in each session, sometimes there's two, um, just so that that new person can feel really supported and like, know that, oh, there's a few people that know, okay, I can just catch on real quick. It's really easy to just catch up. Right. That was me at the actor's home. I was just, they had all done it before. So I was just kind of watching cues, see how they interact, how they sing their songs, who they directed it, you know, just kind of getting a feel for, okay, so this is like a cabaret space just with fewer people and you're more direct. Yeah, they, they, they kind of showed me the ropes before I just had to get up there and, and do it. 
Yeah. And, and all of our volunteers are professional artists. So I very much trust that everybody can just get up and roll with it. And also I love that we do not rehearse because I don't want it to feel like a performance. Like I said, right, so if you right. mess up your song, Oh my gosh, our audience actually really loves it when you mess up <laughs> because they're in on it. They're a part of what's going on and the real you comes out and you're like, Oops, sorry. And I used to have this phrase, um, when I would try out new songs, I would always say, okay, this is a new one, everybody. So what do we do if I mess up? And they would say, we clap anyways. <laughs> and they would all start clapping. And, and so like, it was a thing that they were in on and they were helping me, you know, and they feel purposeful and like, okay, so this is Jackie's first time with this song. So we're all going to be supportive <laughs> you right, know, or whatever. Right. That even happened when I was there. I think one of the girls had to, I don't think she started over the song, but she had to like start the verse over again because she flip-flopped the verses. Uh -huh. Yeah. So she just started that verse over and then just went on with the song. Yeah. And especially the actors home, they know what that is. Right. You know, it's, it's really, yeah, it's really just that feel that we want, you know. Right. Um, but yeah, so being away is hard. You know, I miss my people. I miss these communities. It's so fun to go back though, uh, you know, but I also love that it gives more people that participate in this organization, um, the opportunity to take ownership of the work that they're doing and, and really feel that this is their organization. This is, this is our community's organization. This isn't about me. I don't need to be at every session. You know, this is our community's bridge to the seniors there. And um, the more people that use it, the better. <laughs> Absolutely. Along with, I think, any nonprofit, being out there and reaching as many people as you can you know, unfortunately, it comes down to, to money, to fundraising. And I would imagine that that is almost as much of a full-time job as just working with the performers and with the individual care facilities. Um, well, you're right. It is a full-time job to seek out funding. We are so grateful for Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS. They were our number one supporter from the very beginning. And Tom Viola has been just nothing but gracious and and um, he helped us kick off our piano placement project where we were bringing pianos to senior centers that wanted our services but didn't have any any instruments there and so we would either purchase a new piano or a refurbished piano or get a donated piano and we would get those centers um, a piano and and now we've even ventured into keyboards because some centers are smaller and they can't take on the capacity of a of a piano. And that's been amazing because then that instrument is there for them to use all the time, not just on our visits, but they, you know, people can sit down and play it whenever, but um, they were really instrumental in uh, getting that program off the ground. And then um, the Alzheimer's Foundation of America is also one of our grantees, but um, we do fundraisers at the end of every year. We also do a fundraiser in the summer for our Broadway for the Blind program, which is um, where we do our sessions at um, Enchanted Hills Camp for the Blind, which was my sister's mm -hmm. camp, actually. And we serve um, adults with developmental disabilities and um, seniors. And so we do a fundraiser then in the summer. And then I spend a lot of time looking for grants and writing letters and reaching out and trying to, you know, garner support for what we do. That's where a big chunk of my time is. And then the other chunk is in um, operations, which is managing the, we serve 14 facilities right now. And so it's um, booking our artists um, every month into those sessions and organizing um, some of that is tra they need transportation and um, getting our session leaders and organizing all that. So yeah, it's, it is a full-time job, <laughs> but it's my favorite. I mean, it's, 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 it's awesome, but yeah. Um, no, no, I have no doubt, but I can hear it in your voice and you know, I'm sorry that you listening can't see it, but I see it in your face, just the absolute joy and excitement that you have in being able to do what you do for these seniors and as well as, and we've kind of touched on it, that what you do for the artists as well. It, it really is a reciprocal relationship. Both are giving to each other and I think taking more away from it than they brought into it at the end. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, it absolutely is. I think so much the artists, you know, they show up thinking that they're there to, um, you know, for a service for them to provide this service. And then they leave just, you know, crying with, with joy because they've been so moved by somebody, you know, what they said or just an experience that they had with one of the audience members. And it's just so beautiful. Um, I have people that go back to the same centers because they've built relationships with those people. Uh, Maggie, one of our session leaders the other day, she was going back to Calvary because the, um, this woman had um, this bright pink nail polish and she complimented her and she said, you know, you've inspired me. I'm going to paint my fingernails pink. So she really wanted to go back to Calvary to show this woman <laughs> that she painted her fingernails pink for her. And she, she was there and Maggie was just like, look, I did this. And this woman, was so moved that Maggie, one, remembered who she was, two, remembered their conversation, and just that she had impacted this young person's life. It gave her the opportunity to feel that purpose, too. You know, it's absolutely a mutual relationship. You know, it isn't just service in one direction. This is, you know, building relationships in these communities. That's why we never do just one. Like when I commit to a facility, we commit for a year. Most of the centers we serve, we've been with for 10 years or more. We have some newer ones, but I, with no intentions of sort of ever leaving. <laughs> we're like, no, we're staying. We love you guys. <laughs> you know. Um, well, as you were saying that, it, it got me thinking because certainly there's the seniors themselves, there's the singers, but then there's also the the care facility workers, the nurses, the doctors that are at these places. What has their impression been when Sing for Your Seniors comes? Oh my gosh. Well, that's actually really beautiful. And also the families. So there's two stories. One, um, when we go to Calvary Cancer Hospital, um, oftentimes doctors will come in and sit down and watch the session and nurses will come in and watch the session because it gives them a moment. They gives them an hour to sit and to go along on these journeys of the story. Um, if you imagine working in a hospice hospital all day long, um, that can be very fatiguing. And if they have an hour to just kind of enjoy this moment and this new energy that's in the hospital, um, they can go back to their work kind of refreshed from that, yeah. right? And then also the families um, who are often at um, Calvary during our sessions, it's really beautiful because, you know, they're sitting in a hospital room most of the day with their loved one, and it's very difficult to ignore what's happening. Yeah. Um, my sister passed away from cancer, and so I understand what the hospice environment is like and how difficult it is to forget that there's a beeping oxygen machine and that there's a nurse that's going to walk in whenever she has to and you don't have control over any of that. There's no privacy. There's no, you know, and it gives a family an hour to have an experience with their loved one outside of this environment that they're in, outside of the situation that they're in. They can, they can talk about this love story. They can cry about a sad song and they're crying and experiencing their emotions that is outside of having to cry about what's happening right now. You know, it's incredibly therapeutic and, and beautiful to witness. Another um, really neat thing is to see um, so when we, when we serve AFA at the Alzheimer's Foundation or when we serve an Alzheimer's Foundation facility, um, sometimes the audience comes and they have their caregiver with them. Mm-hmm. And there was this woman who had her phone out. Um, she was the caregiver and she was videoing. And um, we, I, after the session, I came over to her and I, I said, oh, did you like the session? And she told me that she videos, partially she's videoing us, and then she videos her, the woman she's caring for feeling happy and so that she can play the video back for her and so that she can see herself being happy mm. and, and loving the experience that she's, which, that she's in in that moment. And so she takes that with her. It was such an amazing idea. So that's such a brilliant idea. So when she feels confused or she's having a difficult time navigating her emotions, she can watch herself 
feeling happy and listening to this music and relive that moment and almost like a mirroring effect, it will reflect to her and she can find that emotion again. And I just, I just thought that was such an incredible idea and, and just, it's been such a help for her um, and, and the woman that she cares for. Well, it certainly sounds like that you provide that type of, of happiness and escape and relationship and community with so many seniors. I'm very grateful that I got to be a part of it and see it firsthand. And, and so I certainly hope to do more of it in the future. That's the you know, thing about volunteering too, is that I never want people to feel bad. We've had people cancel because they have an audition or that's what it's supposed to be. Like, we're actor friendly, (laughs) you know, like you get an audition. Awesome. Go nail it. We've got, you know, we have swing people that come in and fill in spots and stuff like that. Um, so actor friendly is a big part of this. And so we love it when our people go away and do shows and they come back and they're re-energized and they've got new material and they, you know, it's just so great. So we'll see you after Footloose. It'll be awesome. And speaking of auditions, the second annual Audition Stories will be coming out at the end of this month, featuring guests from this season and last season telling tales from the audition room, the good, the bad, and the dismal. And I want to hear from you. Go to contact.winmepodcast.com to share your own audition story and be featured as well in these episodes. In fact, to close us out here today, Jackie will give a starstruck story of her own. For more information on Jackie and her organization, just go to singforyourseniors.org. You can check out the show notes for that link and other ways to connect. Well, I'm Patrick Oliver-Jones thanking you for joining me on the Spotlight series, a production of Why I'll Never Make It. And now here's Jackie Vanderbeck once again telling her own audition story with a surprise guest appearance. Okay, I think it was pretty close after school, and I was auditioning for Dreamgirls because there's two white girls in the show. Um, And they kind of like do the, you know, doo-woppy girls or whatever. And so I walked in to the audition, and, you know, they walk in and they say, oh, this is Jackie Vanderbeck. And I look up, and Jennifer Holliday was behind the table. (laughs) Wow. And I, now she had, she was a part of it. I I think maybe she was directing it, but, but I would no idea she would actually be in the room. I thought it was just the theater company producer and the musical director, but she was behind the table and I literally stopped walking and just I just stared at her and I, (laughs) I mean, my mouth was just like hit the floor. I just, and she, and she was so lovely. She was just like, hi, so what are you seeing? And I was like, I, I, you're Jennifer Holliday. <laughs> like, I just, <laughs> and she was like, she was like, yeah. And she was just, she, she was such a fun energy in the room. Like she just acknowledged how I was feeling, you know, and she joined me in it. Like she was just like, yeah, it's me. What are you going to sing for me? And I was like, oh my God, um, I'm going to sing this song. Just like, awesome. And I think I sang, and then he kissed me. Okay. I think that's what it was. And then he kissed me. And she, I kid you not, was like bopping behind the table, snapping her fingers. And she was just living it. Anyway, I did get a call. I didn't get the part, but I made it all the way through like the dance call and all the things. And it kind of was broken down. There was me and one other girl that were tall. So we were like the tall pair. And then there was the tiny pair of, of, um, the white girls. (laughs) And I think they must've went with the tiny pair because me and the tall girl didn't get it, (laughs) but it was the most fun she stayed through the whole like dance auditions and she was just in the room with the energy of the show. And she just was, you know, she was like verbalizing things and yeah, 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 yeah. Like when, when we were dancing and stuff and it was the most fun. I definitely, it was one of those auditions where I walked away and I was like, even if I don't get this, I had the best time at this audition and it was jennifer holiday like i I was saying for jennifer holiday what uh yeah so it was it was pretty cool
<laughs> yes, it, yeah, it, it, it's so crazy when we get into rooms and we're like, wait, you're, you're here? You're like, you're in the room? Like, what are you doing here? What? Yeah, I mean, I was just out of school, you know, you YouTube all those videos of her singing from Dreamgirls and there's, she's on that Hey Mr. Producers one where she like practically swallows the microphone on the last note and her hair is like bouncing and it's just so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just, and um, at CCM, our freshman year, Richard Hess, who was our drama, our acting one teacher, he laid us out on the floor and he, pl- and he told us to close our eyes and he played I Am Changing. And that, and like, it was her, you know, singing this song and it was like the, like very pivotal moment of my first acting class at at college. So like, yeah, right when I get out, I go into this audition and it's her, who by the way, it still looked like she was 30 years old. Yeah. She looks like just gorgeous. It was just one of those like, what? I love that. I love that. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.